It's good to be home with your church family and friends and to worship God together. And, and uh, so I'm just excited to be here this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we have some people who will bring some Bibles to you. If you'll just slip your hand up, then they'll bring one to you. And uh, love to, uh, for you to take that and use it this morning. If you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that one home with us as, as our gift to you today. I have to tell you that this passage that we're going to um, look at this morning has actually been written on a notepad in my office for six months. Uh, I really, God uh, has, has been pouring into me this verse, this passage, uh, and I believe that it's something that, that we need to take uh, this year and make it part of our lives as a church. And so 1 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to end up in verse 5, and we're going to spend the next two weeks there. But we're going to take just a few uh, portions of that verse this morning and look and see what it says. Uh, this morning I want us to talk about the aim of our charge. And so if you look with me in 1 Timothy, which is towards the back of the New Testament, almost to the back, and uh, in verse 1 of chapter 1, just to kind of give you kind of context of where we are, I want to begin reading there. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from the God and Father and our Christ Jesus, our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is faith. But the aim of our charge is love. The aim of our charge is love. Would you say that with me? The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor who uh, has, has taken on his new responsibilities in leading the church. And, and, and if you know anything about the, the letters that Paul wrote to churches, he was often writing to them be, to, to deal with problems and issues and to encourage them to live in a way that follows after God. And Paul had taken this young man under his wing and he had mentored him and he had encouraged him and, and now he writes this, this letter to Timothy and, and he says, listen, I, I want you to know that where you will be serving the things that you will be doing, that there will be people who will get distracted. I've often believed personally that when Satan could not grasp my heart with sin and temptation, he would grasp my heart with distraction. That he would take my focus off of the things that are most important to God and to me. One of the greatest tragedies that I believe happens in the modern day church is that we fight the wrong battles. That we have our attention in the wrong places. If you look at modern day church, evangelical church in America, many times we are fighting battles within on unnecessary issues. 
We are not fighting battles that have kingdom value or eternal significance. We are fighting battles that really have earthly significance. And when we read the scripture, God says that we are to keep our eyes on the cross and that we are to keep our eyes on Jesus, not on what man thinks. We, we often are distracted as a church by attacking society for the sins that they embrace instead of understanding and recognizing that there is a stranglehold of sin on our world today. You see, the problem comes that we begin to hate the sinner instead of the sin. And that's completely opposite from what Jesus said we're to do. Jesus said that we are to love the sinner and hate the sinner, hate the sin. And so as a church and as churches in our country, we, we often get distracted. We, uh, we, are, we, we allow unbiblical power struggles to define God's church instead of an unending passion for the gospel and for sharing his love with a lost world. And what's really interesting to me as I studied this passage in 1 Timothy was that the things that Paul some 2,000 years ago was writing to Timothy to watch out for are the same exact things that we deal with today. Look in verses 3 and 4. He says to Timothy, I want you to stay where you are. I want you to remain there. I want you to be faithful year after year. I don't want you to hop around. I don't, I don't want you to go to different places, but I want you to remain so that you may change people who may want to take on a different doctrine. You see, Paul, Paul gave this advice. He said, don't be distracted. And I want you to just kind of engage with what he says. Number one, he says, he says, don't be distracted by bad theology. Just in the last 50 years in America, we have heard that Jesus is dead, that hell's not real, that the Bible is an outdated book of impractical rules and regulations that has no uh, meaning or value to our society today. You want to know those three arguments that I just mentioned are not new? That Paul warned Timothy of those same things? That Paul warned the, the early church of those same things? They were having those same arguments 2,000 years ago that we are today. There's nothing new. He said, don't be distracted by misguided doctrine. You see, in, in our world today, we, we hear that you, you should just do what feels good or feels right to you. That you should fit into the norm of what society says is okay. That you should accept the sins of man and compromise the truth of Scripture. I want you to know, Paul was telling the early church the exact same thing. He said, there, there's leadership struggles in the church. Timothy, you, you got to watch out. If you've been, how many of you have been in church for more than five minutes? That's everybody here, okay? You've probably seen a leadership struggle in a church. And, and I'll tell you what saddens my heart is that oftentimes we're, as a church, more known for our fights than we are for the gospel. What a tragedy. Because we have the greatest story. We have the greatest Jesus to share with the world. And yet there's infighting and there's problems. And, and he says here, and you may have missed it, he says, don't, do, don't, don't uh, 
Let people become distracted with endless genealogies. Here's what was happening. In the early church, there were people who were saying, because of who my mom and dad were, and who my grandparents were, and who my uncle was, that I deserve leadership in the church. You know what Paul said to that point? He said, this is an endless argument. It's useless. Because really, the church should not be following a man. The church should be following God. The church should not be following a, a, a group of leaders. A church should be walking with leaders who are following God, right? And can I just give you permission today at Connection Church? Don't follow me. How about together we follow Jesus? That's, that's what the church should be. That's what, the, that's what God desires for it to be. And so Paul told Timothy, listen, there are people who, who, are, who have this leadership desire. They, they want to be at the front. They, they want everything to go through them. The last thing he says is that there's, they're involved in useless studies of the Bible. Now that almost sounds like, it, it just doesn't sound right. It sounds backwards. Useless studies in the Bible? Well, what was happening in the early church where there were people who were trying to stir up dissension and problems and they were, they were bringing up questions that were not meant to find the knowledge and the power and the glory of God, but they were meant to stir up trouble within the church. And so what's interesting to me is that everything that we've just talked about in the last five or six minutes could be transplanted into 2013. You may have been in that situation in a different church. And so what does Paul say to Timothy? He says, don't be distracted. And in our world, it's easy for us to become distracted about many things, right? Go to the coffee shop tomorrow morning and will somebody be talking about politics? You bet they will. There is a, there is a, a and it's nothing new. Just grab somebody who's 10 or 20 years older than you and ask them if there was a political crisis in 1974. Okay? It's nothing new. We, we all think that the sky is falling and the government's going to fall apart, and they thought that in 1975. Okay? And they thought that in 1954. Okay? It's nothing new. And if you put your trust in a government, you will live a very sad life. You need to put your trust in God alone because He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You see, there's easily, we can easily become distracted with politics or economics. The sky is falling. We've got to go bury stuff in the backyard. I hate to tell you this. It's nothing new. It's been around for a long time. Instead of all these things, of all the distraction, unhealthy relationships, the family in America is failing. It's, it's a scary thing. Yes, it is. But don't become distracted. Look at the end of verse 4. It says instead that we should be focusing on the things of God that come by faith. That there should be a stewardship of, of godly things in our lives. That there should be a teaching. There should be a desire to learn the things of God. And then he gets to verse 5. And, and this is where I'm telling you, it's been written on my, on my wall in my office. I, I have it as the screensaver on my phone because I cannot get away from this. Paul says in verse 5, the aim of our charge is love. Now, some of you are going, oh, here we go. Lovey-dovey, God's all love. Let me tell you something. God is judgment, okay? God loves you enough to discipline you. So I'm not just saying it's all love and no judgment because God is the judge. But what Paul says here is 
that, that we're focusing on the wrong things. He says to Timothy, listen, do not forget who you are and whose you are. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says, You were bought with a price, and therefore you were to glorify God with your body. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says that you, as followers of Jesus, are ambassadors of Christ. Paul told Timothy, don't, don't lose sight of what your purpose is, of what your heart should be focused on. And then he says in verse 5, the aim of our charge is what? Love. The aim of our charge is what? Love. The aim, the purpose, the goal, the focus, everything that, that we want to happen as an end result is love. And that word love is the word agape in the Greek, and it means a chosen love. It, it, it means that, that we should seek to have the love of God in our heart. What I want you to do right now is take a good look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor. If it's your spouse, I hope that you have love for them, okay? If it is a friend, if it's somebody you don't even know, here's what I want you to know. God has called us as followers of Jesus to have a love for the world, to have a love for those who are around us, to have a love for, for those people who are in our world that we interact with. Now, here, don't be mistaken. It doesn't mean you're going to like everybody that you love, okay? Now, I hope if you're in a marriage relationship and you've got a problem with that, we could probably help you find some counseling, okay? Because I hope you like the person who's sitting next to you if you're married to them, all right? Not that's a whole different sermon series, all right? But God says that the aim of our charge, it charges a chosen love to love the world with the love of Jesus. Paul says, listen, if, if you are going to follow, follow Jesus, then you have to have love as your goal. I want you to listen to the story of how some people came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 22. And, and I want you to know that this is actually at the center of what we believe as a church. They came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, what, what is the most important commandment? The, these were scholars of the law. These were people who were actually trying to catch Jesus off guard. But in that moment, I mean, Jesus could have said anything. I mean, he could have said that, that one law is more important than another. And, and so he had the moment and he had the attention literally of the globe. And this is what he said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. You do not have to be a theologian to understand that. It means that the goal of your heart, the goal of your life, is to love God and to love people. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you can only do two things... Pick those two. That's what Jesus said are the most important things. He said, your love should be to God first and then to your neighbor. Now, it didn't mean the neighbor that you like alone. It meant all of your neighbors. And who is your neighbor? That's a whole other sermon. I will save you for time and not preach that. But your neighbor's more than somebody that you live next to. Jesus said, love God and love people. And then Paul followed that up 
Because here's the thing, and you can turn there if you want to, but I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Because it's the chapter, it's the chapter, it's, a, it's called the love chapter. And I'm going to read a portion from there. But here's what I want you to understand. Jesus said that we're to love God and to love people. And then Paul said that as followers of Jesus, that our love will define us. What will make you different from the world is how you love people. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Has any ever, anybody ever been around a three-year-old in the kitchen with a pot and a, and a pan and a spoon? Yeah, can I get a witness anywhere? I mean, is it just me? Okay. And they have unending energy when they do that, right? Like they could do it for four hours. You can't get them to clean up their room, but they could bang on a pot until Jesus comes home, right? Here's, here, that, that's, what the, that's what the Bible says that we are like, that annoying noise. One of my nieces got a drum set for Christmas. God help her parents, okay? Can you imagine a six-year-old with drums? Oh, Lord. That's what we sound like when we say we love Jesus, but we do not have love in our heart. Verse 2, and if, I have, uh, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Listen to what I'm saying. We could have... Every theater in this building full as a church. We could give away tens of thousands of dollars. We could serve in every corner of the Black Hills. But if we do not have the love of Jesus, then we're just a noisy noise to the world, a hollow sound, a Jesus without any meaning. If I have not love, (laughs) I have nothing. You see, jump down to verse 13 because he goes through this other section and you can go back and read it. It says what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It said that love never ends. But at the end, it says that there's important things. Verse 13, there's faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. You see, when Jesus had the opportunity, when he had the attention of the world to say, do this thing. Be this person. Live this way. He could have said anything. He could have said, be a man of faith. And that's important. He could have said, have enough faith to move a mountain. And that's important. And he says that. But, but the most important thing is to love God with all of my life, with all of my heart, with all of my mind, with everything in my being. And to show that same love to those people around me. When we do that, when we don't become distracted, when when we don't lose focus, when the aim of our charge is what? Love. Love. Then the world begins to go, you know, there's something different 
about that church. There's something different about that group of believers. There's something different about that guy at work, that girl at at the coffee shop. There's something different about them, and I don't understand what it is because it doesn't make sense because nobody else is living in that way. They seem to have a love for me no matter what's going on in my life. They love me. They care about me. The aim of their charge is different than mine. So church, this morning, I I believe that I have a, a message from God for you. Number one is this. Do not become distracted. Do not become distracted. Has anybody in here got a problem with sin or temptation? Wow, we got some holy folks in here. Anybody? Just, just let's all raise our hands. It's a good exercise. First, first thing in admitting you have a problem is admitting. De- dealing with a problem is admitting that you have one. We, we all have a problem with sin and temptation, right? So here's what I want you to know. If you leave here today and you say, you know what, Pastor, you're right. The game of my charge is love. I'm going to live for Jesus. And everything I do, I'm going to try to make 2013 the best year of my life spiritually, in my family, in my work, and everything that I do. I'm going to do that. You know who's going to show up on your door tomorrow morning? Maybe this afternoon? Satan. Satan. <laughs> he'll be there waiting on you. He'll, he'll, he, he's ready. He knows right where to get you. He knows that one thing that will take you off track. Send him temptation. Don't, don't be distracted. Then sometimes we, we, we get to the place where we're, we're dealing with sin and temptation. We're, we're setting that aside and we're doing the right things and we're living the right way. And here's what Satan does. He distracts us with busy work. He distracts us with with meaningless pursuits. That's what Paul said in verses 3 and 4. There are people who are doing things that they think are good. You see, there's lots of things in this world to do. But God doesn't want you to do good things. He wants you to do the best things. As a church, we've battled with this. We, we started this church from scratch, so there wasn't anything. I mean, we, we, had a, we had a clean slate. We were able to say, okay, if we could do anything, if we could do anything to reach the Black Hills for Christ, what would we do? How would we set this place up? And, and if you believe for a second that everybody in this room hasn't had an agenda for us, you're mistaken. Everybody's got a passion that they want Connection Church to do. And, and listen, some of them are good, very good. And, and, and just because we're not doing them doesn't mean that they're not good. But God didn't call us to do good. He called us to do best. And so, as, as leadership, we have sought the heart of God. And, and, and I want you to know, as Connection Church, we, we decided that in, in 10 years or 20 years or 50 years, when we stand before God and, and we say, God, you know what? We, we didn't do everything that people wanted us to do. But every Sunday, we, we worshiped you with all of our heart. And we opened God's word and we taught from God's word. We did that well to, our, the, to the best of our ability. And God, we, we did our best to share the gospel in everything that we do, not just from the stage on Sunday, but in in ministry throughout the week and and in the the relationships that we had. We were were seeking to share the gospel with people who needed Jesus. And we sought to to teach people how to walk with God. We, we we, We sought to try to disciple people in their walk with Jesus, to not just say, hey, here's a little Jesus, good luck with your life. 
but to walk with, with people as they learn how to read their Bible, to study their Bible, to have a small group environment where they can be with other believers who are doing that same thing. And we decided that if, if we just could be missional in, in our city, in, in this region, in our nation, and in the globe, as much as we could, as the best we could, if we just did those things, if we just did those few things well for the next 10, 20, 50 years, that we could stand before God and say, you know what, we did our best. We didn't get everything else done. There's a lot of good things that we missed out on, God, but these things, we did our best. I think God would be pleased. It doesn't mean for another church it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's different. I mean, th- what God calls them to do is it's different, and that's okay. But for us, we decided we're going to do these four or five things really well to the best that we could to try to do the best for God because we don't want to become distracted. So if we're not going to be distracted, then what do we do? I'm going to challenge you in 2013. Listen to me. Don't disengage. Be passionate about these four things. Number one is this. Be passionate about the gospel. The greatest thing that has ever happened to those of us who are saved by faith, by by grace through faith in Christ alone is your salvation. The gospel has changed my life. It has changed your life. If you know Jesus, you're going to heaven when you die. You need to be passionate about sharing the gospel with people around you. I'm going to challenge you to be passionate about growth in your life, spiritually. Do not let another week go by. Do not let another year go by without you seeking to grow spiritually in your walk with Christ. Salvation was never meant to be a pretty thing that you put in a cabinet at your house. It was meant to be something that rocked your world and that you that poured out of you into those people around you. Be passionate about your walk with Christ. Grow. Learn who He is. Study God's Word. Memorize it. Get involved in a small group. Do the things that you need to do to grow spiritually to learn more about what it means to be a follower of Christ. I'm going to challenge you to be about growth and connection church. Now, I want to I phrase this correctly. I don't care if there are 50 people or 500 people here on Sunday morning. What I care about is that there are people in our city who are going to go to hell if we don't share Christ with them in 2013. There are going to be people who will not be here any longer. So every person means something in this city. Every person means something in this region. And so I'm going to challenge you to think about in 2013, who can you invite to come to Christ? Who can you invite to come to Connection Church? Who can you pour into their life to try to help them see their need for Jesus? The third thing that I'm going to challenge you to be passionate about is generosity. I'm going to challenge you to be generous in how you live. Don't be a stingy life. Do you know somebody? Don't point at them if they're here, okay? Do you know somebody who lives a stingy life? I mean, they're just tight. And I'm not talking about just money. I'm talking about in their emotions. They're just not a pleasure to be around. I mean, and if that's you, 
How about you change that now? And, and Pastor, you don't know what I've been through. Hey, listen, there's a lot of people who have been through a lot of junk and they don't live stingy lives. Be generous with how you love. Be generous with how you live. Be generous with how you serve. Be generous with how you give. You see, God has blessed Connection Church. And, and I, I, I battled on whether to share this with you this morning or not. And I'm just going to share it with you. In 2013, Connection Church needs to learn how to walk on their own financially. Okay, We've we kind of been getting some help from the outside to do what we do. And this is the year that we kind of get the plane off the ground and fly on our own. Okay, So that means I'm going to challenge you as followers of Jesus and attenders and members of Connection Church to be faithful in your giving so that we can continue to do this every Sunday morning and the ministry that we do all week long. You see, what you don't, may not know is that God is expanding our territories. Easter of this year will be the celebration of our first service, but we are going to launch a new service in Belfouche. That is a town, I heard from a pastor three weeks ago, that 97% of that town does not attend church on Sunday morning. That's their statistic, not mine. Why are we starting in Bell? Because we want Connection Church to be this big... No. We want people in Belfouche to know Jesus. And when you give on Sunday, 10% of what you give goes to help plant churches just like that. That's exciting. I've never been, to, been able to be a part of a church that gets to do that kind of thing. We're going to open the doors on Easter. We're going to share the gospel. And we're praying that people come to know Christ that first Sunday. Because that's what's happened here. Why can't God do that there and in other cities around our region? Because J Jesus didn't want to touch only spearfish. Jesus wanted to touch the Black Hills. He wants to rock this place with his love. You see, the aim of our charge is what? Love. love. 